Welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast, hosted by me, Steph Wilkinson, quality improvement specialist and wellbeing fanatic, interested in how we provide high quality education. I'm interested in culture, innovation, and how we use evidence-informed practice to really make a difference. I'm joined each week by people doing great things in education to share their experiences and freshest thinking with you all. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Um, this week I am joined by Paula Ailiff and I am super excited to talk to her about all things professional learning and also some of the research she's currently doing, um, which we'll get on to, which is super interesting about um, co-headship. So hi, Paula, how are you? Hi, hi, Steph. I'm well, thank you very much. Good. It's lovely to see you. Um, so I'm just going to dive straight in, really, um, because I've got loads to ask you. But before we do that, just give everyone a little bit of an intro as to what you do and um, yeah, what your role is. We'll start there. OK, so um, I have been in teaching since 1986, so considerable length of time now. Um, and uh, I'm based in Cambridge, UK, and I started off in 1986 as a chemistry teacher in a secondary school, comprehensive school, uh, one of the village colleges uh, just south of Cambridge. And I stayed there for 11 years, finishing as head of department. Mm -hmm. Then I had some time off. Uh, I had three, I've got three children, had some time off uh, with them. And then I started being a parent helper in their local in the school uh, that they go to, local primary school. In fact, it's at the bottom of our garden. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I started being a parent helper. Um, and then a couple of years after that, I got offered the PPA job, the, the okay. first PPA teacher there, um, ended up teaching PE to um, year five and six that was okay. extraordinary <laughs> and, uh, and then I also carried on just volunteering as well and so volunteered in the reception class having mm. trained to be a secondary school teacher um, and this amazing lady called Holly Linklater who's now a, um, uh, works at the University of Edinburgh um, she was my kids reception teacher and just seeing her with the children and the relationship that she had with all of the children and what she was trying to do with them and it being such an inclusive uh, environment it was like oh this is what I've been trying to do in a secondary context for so many years um, and I just just thought, stood in awe really at watching her um, and eventually um, she left to do a PhD in Ad Aberdeen and I took had her job oh. I became um, the reception teacher in fact I became key stage uh, one lead as well um, so yeah the head at the time took took me on even though I had no experience formally in that area um, I was reception teacher for eight years and then I became the assistant head and then the head retired and together with the deputy um, my, uh, we are now the co-heads of that school so I've gone from being a parent helper to the head teacher I love this and um, I loved, I'm, I'm fascinated by people's journeys actually in education. Um, I too was a, a, originally trained as a secondary science teacher, so biology and chemistry, um, and ended up 
just sort of diverting into FE, um, kind of going FEHE and, yeah. and now doing all sorts of things um, quality related. But tell me then, I'm really fascinated because people used to ask me about, oh, do you not fancy primary? And there was something that I thought I would probably be really interested, but I was never drawn there. Um, but I am fascinated by learning in general. And I think um, I, would pro I would be super fascinated if I did go into primary and look at that. But tell me about what you learned. So you, you've done all of those different things, but what have you learned about education in, in that time? So the, the main thing, and this is really my mantra, and I use it at least twice a day with other people, is that um, the child has to be the centre of everything. And that means that you do not drag a student, a child, a pupil, whatever you want to name them, to the curriculum. You take the curriculum to the child. And that is what I was observing in this particular reception class. And that on reflection is what I had been trying to do mm. with children in secondary who, who just didn't, didn't need to be in the, in the lab, in the laboratory. Mm. That was the wrong place for them to do their learning. Um, and I just took them to the gym and we ran around the gym being, being particles and atoms. And that was a much better way for them to, uh, to learn their science. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, they did better than predicted yeah. um, because I had tried to make the learning relevant to them. Mm. And that has is very much the, the everyday thing. And that's what I'd seen in this reception class. And the other thing that's really, really important is that you need to trust the children, students that you are working with, believe in them um, and and they will come up trumps. Uh, so this is what I was I was seeing. I was seeing this this teacher trust these four year olds to do various things and they would do it. Um, and it's and, and therefore the relationships build. And when the relationships are strong, the trust grows and the um, the desire to, to work together and to learn more then follows. Isn't it so fascinating because you don't, you wouldn't necessarily see, and we'll get on to professional learning and CPD, but you wouldn't necessarily see a session that talks about building relationships with students necessarily or taking the curriculum to students. You'd see um, some sort of very pedagogical titled um, sessions. And, and like you said, I very much see the benefit of positive relationships and like you say trust I'm fascinated that you just mentioned that we've got to believe in children and believe in students because you'd think that would be a given being in education but there's so many people whether they notice it or not with the language that they use kind of say oh that those students won't achieve x or those are the students that are never gonna achieve y and you think wow I get it. It's a challenge yeah. sometimes, but um, I think asking people to really think about how do they show that they believe in those students or those children is a really nice question, actually. Yeah, and it, and it's why we now do something in our school called Spirals of Inquiry. Okay. Um, my co-head Sarah went to Vancouver a few years ago and saw it in action there, um, and it's basically a, a little research. Uh, spiral that you keep going back to so 
Um, if, if you've got a hunch about something, mm. you can ask the children, you can ask whoever it is you're working with um, and, and test it out and, and, and try some things. And if they work, great, move on. If they don't, go back again. Mm. But unless you have that relationship and, and ask them and talk to them and find out what, it, what the learning is like for them, yeah. then you're just going to be second guessing. Yeah, and, and I think there's probably um, a few things popping up in my mind. One is that we often try to use data to interpret student experience. And then two, we maybe sometimes ask questions that are our agenda. But I, and I don't, I don't actually know a lot about spirals of inquiry, but I've interpreted it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as kind of just being curious and, and asking open, discursive questions to students about how they experience their learning or, or things related to that is that right yeah that, that's right Be, being curious so if you you know you, you're teaching a class and the class will over a period of time there'll be a few puzzles you know I wonder why they do this or I wonder why that particular child does that or why is it that when they come in after lunch they take much longer or whatever it is to settle yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you get you get hunches and often we we try and solve or sort out those hunches by ourselves yeah uh, without actually asking the audience the people we're working with yeah. their opinion and our teachers have found that when they talk to the children about the hunches that they have about them mm. the answers are often surprising or um and and you know I've, I've got a colleague who's been with us for over 20 years mm. um when we started this four years ago he, he came he came running into the staff rooms and saying, why have I not done this before? I have been second guessing what my, <laughs> my children need for the last 20 years. And all I actually had to do was ask them. Um, and, you know, it just small changes. Yeah. But he then sort of, you know, what am I, what a disservice I might have done over these years with, with you know, that wasn't the intention. No. It was an un, unwitting disservice to, to, to some of the children. Um, and so, yeah, it has made a great big difference to the fact that every child in our school gets 30 minutes one-to-one -one with their teacher three times a year to tell them about their learning. Yeah. And, and the question that they always get asked, first of all, is, is can you name two people in school that believe in you? Um, and I if they can, that's brilliant. But yeah. if they can't, there's your starting point. So let me just let me just make emphasize this point because um, in FE, um, we have progress reviews. We often call them progress reviews with students or one-to-one -one tutorials. And there's always this discussion about how do we do the best one-to-ones um, and we have this combination of exploring their academic performance and their pastoral needs and then we hone in all the time on the targets that we'll set off the back of that conversation that's quite agenda driven um, we have external you know um mm pressures that mean that we kind of look at that in we look at that opportunity in a certain way sometimes so let me just think a little bit about what you are saying about spouse of inquiry it's actually to explore the students experiences of learning which then allows you to do what uh to to change the way that the the, the, the learning is delivered change the environment change the pace 
change whatever it is that the child tells you yeah um and it's you know it's very very bespoke some of the things are could just be moving a chair mm-hmm. or having a different table or sitting in a different position or it might be um much more general that's something the whole class actually you know if, if the, the mm-hmm. teacher has this hunch and asks all 30 children mm-hmm. and 17 come up with the same answer then you know there's a there's a whole class thing that that needs attending to and and yeah it's very powerful mm-hmm. and, and even the smallest changes uh, can be powerful because the children realize that you've taken their them seriously yeah and you've acted upon it and therefore the relationship deepens and the trust grows and they're more likely then to show you more of themselves as they uh, as they as they make progress yeah and I, I love that initial question about do you have can you name two people that believe in you I, I'd I would I doubt anybody in Effie asks that question to a student I, I I've never heard it of it before and I just think that's amazing yeah and, and it's very powerful it's a simple question but it's very powerful because if a child can't name a person that that they think believes in them in school, that's a sorry state of affairs, isn't it? Yeah. And so we've we've taken those styles of questions, and actually we have a sort of a, a pre-appraisal discussion before we get onto the official stuff with teachers, okay, support staff, and admin staff, and we use the same question, and we ask the our staff three times a year. Can you name two people in school who believe in you as a teacher, as a admin person or whatever it happens yeah. to be? And if they can't name two people that believe in them professionally, then there's our starting point. Yeah. So talk to me about um, professional learning, because that's something that you're really interested in as am I, as are lots of people at the minute who are, there's, there's started to be a change in FE around what professional um, learning and what, we've, we've still got a lot of people focusing on CPD and, and actually the way that you name it is, is often indicative of how people do it or feel about it. So talk to me about your interest in that and sort of where that came from and then what you've been exploring as part of that. Yes. Yeah, so um, so all the way through my, my teaching career, um, I felt that professional or CPD, as it was then and often still is called, mm-hmm. uh, was something that was done to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a voice in that. When I, carried, when I went to these meetings, which seemed endless and constant, I sat there thinking of all the other things I could be doing in that, in that time, rather than listening to whatever it was that was happening, because it just didn't seem relevant. Mm-hmm. And actually, if, again, if I'd been asked about what I th- thought I needed, then there could have been some sort of co- conversation with some things that the school felt I needed, and I needed as well and we'd have some sort of compromiser or a um a bit more of a bespoke package um for that so i i often ended up well i did i I, for much of my career i've found my own professional learning through networks okay um and things so um uh so when i uh came to my current school um i quickly uh joined the learning without limits network which is based at the university of cambridge 
Um, and that was just eye-opening, you know, the idea of um, of, of non-ability labeling. Oh, mm -hmm. just, just thinking, uh, just, it was just eye-opening. And then I've also um, got involved with the Charter College of Teaching um, and the most important network for me currently is Collective Ed, based at Leeds Beckett University, which has, you know, that's where we met uh, uh, when we were doing the postgraduate certificate in coaching and mentoring there. Um, and just a whole bunch of like-minded people from a whole range of different settings and, you know, FE in your case, primary, you know, I, I see um, uh, teacher training, secondary schools, university, just a whole group of people with, but very like-minded and you could have practical, sensible, uh, real conversations with. Mm. Um, and I've found it important to not just have local networks as well, which, um, but also networks that, that are further afield because yeah. when you're, spending a lot of time and this isn't really a criticism it's just how it is with with local people you're actually in with local say other primary schools in, in Cambridge you're actually in competition with each other to a certain extent and it's not as um open and free and uh supportive as as it might be mm -hmm. just because we're actually in some cases sharing families and, and parents and, and yeah. things so so to actually have um people to talk to that are completely in a different part of the country or in fact a different part of the world yeah. um it, it's quite helpful because mm. you can really bounce ideas off each other i agree and and that's become more apparent in effie is it, there's been so many sort of communities of practice people have been able to get involved with the last two years have actually amplified the way that we can do that um and and similarly with collective ed which I just love the way that people from all over the world in lots of different settings um with just an interest in education and, and how we do it and want to think about it just come together and the, and the work that Rachel does is just um phenomenal yeah. so um yeah, so talk to me about what you've been doing recently in terms of professional learning then. Yeah, so um, so very much in the style of, of, of me having to find my own professional learning. I didn't want anybody, I don't want anybody to be in that position for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, don't want to do the professional learning to people. I want them to have a say in what they do. But it was, I was struck of, oh, I don't know how long ago now, maybe five years ago, walking behind a couple of colleagues in the in the school corridor and they on the way to a staff meeting and they simply said one said to the other oh staff meetings are such a waste of time and this was this was in a school that I'd been involved in for probably a dozen years by then um okay I wasn't the head then but I was shortly to be the head mm. um and actually I originally initially I thought oh that's a terrible thing that they've said that's awful and then a few more paces on and I thought you know they're right because we're making people go to all of the staff meetings mm. and some of them are relevant to them and some of them aren't so and also we were expecting them to do um, a whole load of work but mm. when when are they going to do it so uh, the first thing we did as co-heads um, is to cut down the number of meetings okay. that they go to. Um, the way in which we do our school development plan, 
um, is actually um, we've got eight aims this year in our school development plan, mm. but each one is a spiral of inquiry. Okay. And different members of staff are attached to a different aim in the, the working party for that aim. Mm-hmm. They're just in one of them. It's not just teachers, some teaching assistants, some admin staff are also involved in that. Okay. We don't run that. That's run by another member of staff. Um, and so they go to the, when, it, when it's on the schedule, they go to the meetings that are relevant to the aims that they're working on. Okay. There are some whole school things that we do as well. Um, we've cut down the number of leadership team meetings. We've cut down the number of team meetings mm. um, just to try and sort of pace things a bit more. Because yeah. um, one thing that the pandemic did do, which was positive, is that it made us stop <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and and the convey about of learning of school not of learning the convey about of school paused uh, yeah. and we all got off for a bit or at least we stopped and we looked around yeah. <laughs> we were and we, we said what are we doing yeah, and we think what are we doing what are we doing <laughs> you know let's reevaluate what we're doing yeah. and, and and only do the things that we need to do so mm-hmm. you know it's all to do with not you know staff well-being as mm-hmm. well but but actually being a bit more reflective, a bit more uh, use of time, better use of time, yeah. um, and, and going deeper into less things. Um, I, and I, I love that because um, it's something that I've been really, I got a hunch, I'll, I'll use that word that you use, yes, yeah. I, I, I get hunches often, yeah. people ask me to prove stuff with data and I'm like, it's just a hunch, it's just yeah. a, um, yeah. so Um, over the hunch yeah exactly but it's um I I had a hunch that and I still have the hunch and and it's more of a is more of a knowing now is we often in in I think in any um school college we're trying to spin so many plates what I was what I was noticing was we're trying to spin 100 plates and then by the end of the year we'd done tons of stuff but then we may or may not have seen an improvement in something. And people feel, I, I, I felt like, I do feel like that contributes to a sense of um, exhaustion, a bit, people feel a bit deflated and they're like, well, we did this and we did this and we did this and we did this and we did this. Uh, but the, the pressure still comes to answer the question, well, why is your attendance or your retention not improved for example and and people are trying and trying and trying and I've I've my my current theory is that we're trying to do too many things Mm. and so part of the work I've been doing uh, specifically with curriculum managers actually is asking them to try and pull it down to four or five big themes but then stop and reflect at the end of each term and also try to set intended outcomes at the beginning yes. rather than hoping for the best. Yeah, that's exactly what we've done with these. Okay. Exactly that. And and um, it's really front and centre, our school development plan. It's in everything. It's in our appraisal documents. It's it's what is gets spoken about at every governor's meeting. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's front and centre. When before a school development plan, you write it, it goes in a drawer <laughs> and you get you pull it out and fill it in at the end of the year oh yeah I think we did this this is a running record okay uh this is ongoing this is uh and, and it's really it was really helpful during the pandemic when we felt we didn't do anything mm. because we, we were just 
treading water, actually, we did move forward. Yeah. Not, as, not as much as we'd have hoped for, mm. because obviously there was all sorts of stuff going on, but we, we did get moved forward and, and this was the proof. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, so that's helpful. But, so we do have proposed outcomes right. and things that we think it's go, the direction it's going or the end point that it might end up. But often it, it either goes a very sort of windy road towards mm. there Mm. or in fact the outcomes are different and in fact better mm. um and 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 we're 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 flexible relaxed about that because yeah. we've done a proper um you know journey it's a learning journey yeah and um, i'm imagining this as like um because the ideal in my head is that this is a live thing yes this very is, much so yeah it's, it's very alive and it's very regularly you know um ideal for me in my head but there's one version and everyone updates yes um yes this so one. we've got 10, ten aims Great. 10 running records yeah uh so they're farmed out to different uh staff so we're not running everything yeah we then monitor those running records and yeah. then we write questions in to okay. them that then the groups can then respond to and then every every half term we summarize where they've got to and that that appears on our school development plan on the website um, so yeah it's it's yeah I'd, we wouldn't do it any other way now yeah and because I am trying to just trying to picture what it because I'm so visual I'm trying to picture what it looks like and then looks like in practice but actually that's where you the hardest bit is getting to the 10 aims isn't it it's, it's deciding it's too many the, yeah yes, I mean we started off with with six I think yeah. and then the governor's put in another two mm. and then our head teacher performance management wanted another one so it ended up with 10 yeah ideally we'd have five six okay. that sort of level but it ends up with more yeah but some of them roll on to the next year yeah some of them don't get started properly for, for whatever reason some yeah. go off in a slight tangent um but there, there's a journey there and it's and it's uh you can see it and yeah. and also it highlights where the professional learning needs to go in as well so we have an idea of where our whole school of professional learning would look at look, look looks like but actually when you read the running records and you see the how these groups are working and the questions that they come up with and the answers that they give and the queries that come out actually then uh, allows us to put some more professional learning in that's much more relevant and uh, um, uh, yeah and, and sort of proactive rather than being a reactive situation yeah. and and that actually is just reminding me of um because I suppose that one of the questions we sometimes need to answer is what don't we know Mm. And, and we don't all we don't necessarily sit and ask that question round a table do we like what don't we know mm. anyone yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then go, okay like what are we going to do about that um but it, what it's reminding me of is a question that came up in inspection recently which is how are you using information to um like develop the professional learning and the uh, cpd program and that is exactly how you could do it yeah. So I'm yeah. monitoring the running records and be answering the questions. What else do we need? What don't we know? And then you put that in. Yeah. 
but alongside the bigger things that we yeah. that we have to do yes like you know if we're bringing in a new um online system for example mm. you know that would that would need to be there obviously safeguarding is something that has is ongoing um yeah and other things but it does make it targeted more yeah targeted in the right way they're learning Yes, and it's organic. If you have a structure yeah. by which you say, right, okay, at this point we're going to look at what else do we need. Yeah. It's organic, and it's you're not saying, oh well, at the beginning you're not saying, oh well, because of that we're definitely going to have that training or development because actually you want to explore it first. Yes, and, and you want to time it properly, and also you think, oh, it looks like we need some of that or something like that, and then you go a bit further and say, oh no, actually they've got that. Yeah. Um, and also we sort of take a step back. We can explore what's available. We can, you know, a lot of the professional learning we now do ourselves. Yeah. Um, but also we can we've got connections that we can bring in or we can get people to watch something or read something or you know, you can look at a whole load of different ways. I'm just gonna encourage people who are listening actually to reflect on do do they ask those questions at useful times what don't we know what else do we need but not quality our teaching and learning teams making that decision actually getting all of that from all the teams what don't we know bearing in mind these are our strategic objectives or these are our main areas of development what don't we know what else do we need okay how do we do that because I'm not convinced that we all we are currently approaching things in that way so it'd be interesting to um I always encourage people to leave you can leave a voice note on anchor on the app that people can listen to the podcast on and um, I have had a couple of voice notes from people before but I always encourage people to leave a little voice note or voice message so if anyone out there is currently doing that then um I'd be really interested to hear about it but we um we could talk all day um but I want us to get on to um what you're currently doing in terms of your research um just tell people about the the co-headship and mm. then talk about your research because I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who does co-headship yes so it's not very common so okay. I never in a million years thought I'd end up being a head teacher that wasn't something I was looking for mm. I just didn't it didn't the job didn't appeal mm. um, but that's because I had a preconceived idea about what headship was and actually, uh, it, it can look different and it does look different in our situation. So my co-head and I, so Sarah is my co-head. Um, we are both full time. OK, so we don't have a deputy. We don't have an assistant head. We used to be the, the, the I used to be the assistant head. Sarah used to be the deputy head. Um, but so but we're now full time co-heads. And so what I'm looking at at the moment and I'm doing an MRES with Leeds Beckett, um, is that I'm looking at, at, at doing an examination of the space mm -hmm. that a full-time co-headship provides. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and why that space and what it looks like, uh, what it consists of, and why that makes the job sustainable. Yeah. Uh, because the headlines, you know, every day we hear not only teachers leaving, but head teachers leaving, leadership leaving. Yeah. You know, what where are all the new heads going to come from where mm -hmm. are all the new teachers coming from you know you hear people who are in middle leadership or deputy head saying i don't want to go any further yeah. and that's because it is known that the job of a head teacher is lonely 
Yeah. Um, and so I've been spending some time thinking, uh, observing, thinking, and talking to Sarah, my co-head, about well, well, what is it? What is this space? What does it look like? And so I've come up with sort of seven hypotheses of what this space is. Okay. Um, first being that it's not lonely, mm-hmm. um, that it allows trust to exist, to develop and overflow into the school, um, that it's shaped by our personalities. We're not clones of each other. Okay. We have very well, opposite personalities, uh, which dovetail together. And Sarah looks at a broad range of things, mm-hmm. uh, not in a shallow way, but she's able to, to think about a broad range of things all at the same time. I, I, I think more deeply about a, 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 a shorter, a smaller range of things. And so by working together, I'm actually, she's enabling me to think more broadly mm-hmm. and hopefully I'm enabling her to, to think more deeply. Um, and this space also operates between sort of phys- within physical boundaries and technology, technological boundaries. Like it, it works in, in, in a space. Mm. Um, it's not hierarchical. That's absolutely key. And because it isn't, hopefully what else happens in the school, the way in which we run our school development plan mm. also isn't, is non-hierarchical. Um, it's a safe space because it allows, uh, well, because it's safe, it allows um, for unconditional dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I'm arguing that because it allows unconditional dialogue, we can, it allows us to be braver and do things that we wouldn't do if we were, we were head on our own. Yeah. Um, and crucially, this space uses expert friends. Okay. Um, and because of all of those seven things, my argument is it, it, it is, this space is sustainable. Mm. I love that because, um, and, and I relate to the things that you're saying about um, people just either not wanting to go any further or being like, that's not for me, or, well, actually the sort of narrative around headship or senior leadership um is that you've got to give your life to that and you've got to eat breathe sleep repeat um and and there is a lot of stress and a lot of unwellness that can go with that um and like you say there's that lonely bit too and and I think you know we've had two years of of really just difference in in education but that and I don't think it's exclusive to education actually I get um I'm kind of hearing that it's it's global that people are just saying I'm not doing it anymore whatever it is that they're doing that they feel like the quality of life is hindered because of that work because of the stress of it because of how much energy and effort it takes um and the and the forfeiting of other things that you have to do that people are kind of saying I'm done yeah. If that if that if that actually manifests in in a big way in education, we are going to be in some real trouble, aren't we? If we're not already, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and even though as a, you know we've cut down the number of meetings for our staff, the expectations have been lowered in terms of in terms of the other things we expect our teachers to do. Mm-hmm. They are still saying they're exhausted, yeah, and fatigued, and uh, you know 
you know, we have, I had some visitors in school today from Canada and, and, and she's, you know, the, the professor that was there, you know, said this, she felt the vibrancy of our school, but, you know, still I'm having to, I did a load of appraisals last week and people are exhausted mm-hmm. and looking for motivation. And if they can't, yeah, I say this glibly, but if they can't find motivation in a school like ours, mm-hmm. where are they going to where are they going to find it? And I, I'll say that, you know, I'm sure there are better schools than ours, but we certainly, I think, um, think, I think about people's well-being. Yeah, and I think from what you're saying, at least you are making that conscious effort to listen to staff, to think about workload, to think about well-being. And I think that's I, one of the themes that has cropped up throughout all the different bits that you've said actually is around trust and relationships. So underneath a lot of, well, nearly everything that you've talked about, there is that fostering of relationships or trust um and I think we don't often we don't think about that enough Mm. and um as part of my MPhil I'm looking at the conditions by which we can create that sense of flourishing but I'm specifically going to look at middle management Mm. um, because there seems to be in Effie and it's probably the same in in primary and secondary this kind of sometimes a real bottleneck of stuff because we've got accountability coming down and Mm. then and and then the need for support and encouragement and motivation and leadership from their teams and these are a bunch of people that I have been working really closely with the last, you know, four or five years when I've been in, in teacher learning leadership that are always saying that there's, you just can't get through what you need to get through sometimes. And it's relentless. Yeah. And, and they go on this journey of like motivated, not motivated, want to quit. And then they're, they're OK again. And often it's the relationships and the positive experiences that keep them there. Um, and I'm interested in exploring what are the things that contribute to the positive experiences of, of mm-hmm. a sense of flourishing, but also what are, and we could guess, but it's important to carry out the research yeah, to, estab- awesome. yeah, to, yeah. to establish what is it that contributes to a sense of not flourishing, um, you know, what's the yeah. challenge, what's the struggle. So um, just some really interesting conversations I think and um, approaches you know that you're already on with that people really do need to think about these days um yes and of course accountability is there and I suppose what we're doing as head teachers is 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 you know we're fielding that pressure or trying to mm. um whilst supporting those um I don't want to say beneath us but in in the structure yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Thank you so much, Paula. Um, it's been it's been great to talk to you, and um, I'm sure as your research unfolds, we'll talk again at some point because I think more and more people are going to be interested in doing things differently because there's a real need to think differently if we're going to keep, retain, motivate, um, and support teachers or, or education educators to flourish yeah. um and and not want to not want to leave um yeah. so but yes thank you so much for joining me it's been great pleasure thanks for listening to the teaching excellence podcast leave us a voice message in anchor tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show Tune in next week for more. 
Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.